0: I'm reading from Matthew chapter 24 and beginning at verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's be seated. I'm going to invite Aidan to come and share with us. I've got a little for this Yeah, I will do it this is awkward, isn't it? <laughs> oh, go on, get it, get it. Yeah, get on, I mean, it's about times and stuff. Yeah, times. I'm, I'm sure you do college. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh. It's not very good when you're not prepared, is it? Should we pray? Lord, help. Amen. It's not very good when you're not prepared, is it? How well prepared are we for Jesus to return? <laughs> I'm, I've got a confession to make. I have actually prepared. Uh, don't worry. Um, and I'm really sorry, Alan, who asked me at the beginning are you preaching tonight? And I said boldly, no, I'm not. So, um, I'm sorry, I told you. But no, I am actually speaking tonight and, uh, and I'm really privileged to speak on this idea of the second coming of Jesus and being prepared for it. Um, I wonder how you felt as you maybe thought, oh gosh, the curate's forgotten that he's preaching. Some of you might have felt uncomfortable. Uh, some of you might have felt uh, that it was quite funny. Some of you may have thought relief, because at least the sermon was going to be short. <laughs> um, one, of the two, one of the few feelings. But being prepared is an interesting concept. Being ready is an interesting thing that we don't think of, especially when it comes to our faith. Being a people who are ready for life, ready for Jesus to come back. As I'm sure you're all aware, obviously as Paul said at the beginning, this is the first Sunday of Advent. The season where we look forward, as our society tells us, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. You know, we look forward as Christians to Jesus' birth. But also, Advent it has a second meaning. About the second coming, that passage we just had read from Matthew. Jesus tells about when he will come back again. And when he will return. And that's what I want us to think about this evening. I want us to think about that second coming of Jesus. Because I'm not entirely sure... I've ever heard a sermon on it. I don't come from uh, an an Anglican liturgical background. And so we didn't follow the church calendar. You know, Advent, Christmas, they're primarily evangelistic opportunities. You know, have a carol service, get lots of people through the door. But actually, Advent, this beginning of the new year, we look forward to Jesus coming back again. And it's something I kind of, I suppose, I struggle with. um, Because... It's not something I really think about lots. I don't know about you, but I I don't think about Jesus coming back very often. I find it quite confusing, if I'm honest. Like the study of of the end times. There's this word in theology called eschatology. uh, Which, if you don't understand, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. Um, Which is my favorite Christian joke, by the way. (laughs) I love that joke. Uh, But eschatology, the study of the end times and Jesus' return... I don't really think about that. I much prefer to think about Jesus' life, his birth maybe, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. I'll think about the things that, that are written down that happened and I want to respond to the Jesus I can understand, if that makes sense. The Jesus that will come back again in the future, oh, that, that daunts me. I don't know what it's like. And I, and I spoke with a few people and I, this week and I wonder if this is something that many of us share. I spoke with, a, like I said, a various group of people and I got kind of two main responses about they, what they thought the end times would be like and Jesus' return and what they thought about the second coming. The first response was that they believed that Jesus would come back, but it was probably unlikely to be in their lifetime. You know, by law of averages, he's had 2,000 years, What's, what more is an extra 30, 40, 50, whatever years? So probably he won't come back in their lifetime, so it's just not something we really have to worry about really. And then there was a second type where there was quite a big honesty of just uh, not really sure it was actually a thing. The concept of Jesus' return, uh, you know, Genesis, one person said that they talked about how Genesis is like, a they saw it as a parable, and Jesus told parables, and maybe this concept of Jesus' return again is a parable. It's not literally exactly true, it's kind of teaching a vague meaning, whatever. And actually one person noticed something which I thought chimed with myself when they said that the only Christians who really think about the end times are crazy people who are on the fringes of Christianity. But what I find interesting is the early church, the disciples, they utterly believed Jesus was coming back. The people who spent all their time with Jesus, the real son of God, They were convinced he was coming back. They understood his teachings, he's gonna return. Jesus spent quite a long time talking about the kingdom of God and he spends this whole chapter, Matthew 24, talking about his return. This was a real part of the early Christians belief. In fact, they didn't write down the Bible initially because writing down the Bible takes too much time. They thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow. They needed to tell people, tell people about the gospel. They need to travel, they need to get the message out there. Eventually, when they got 20, 30 years down the line, they got to the point where, oh, he hasn't come back quite yet. Maybe we should write this message down so as many people as possible can hear it. And the older parts of the the Bible are kind of the church. You see the church maybe in books like 1 Timothy wrestling with the concept that Jesus hasn't quite come back. We need need some form of structure in our church so the message can endure. But there's still a clear belief that Jesus would return. And that that belief went through the the first few centuries of Christians. You know, we're we're probably all familiar with our affirmation of faith, the Nicene Creed. I think it's fascinating that Jesus' return is a central part of our our affirmation of faith. I believe Jesus, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. This belief that Jesus will return is a core Christian doctrine. But yet we kind of neglect it for a whole bunch of good reasons, I think. But we neglect it and we don't really think about it because it's too confusing, or too daunting, or too just crazy. But what I want to say tonight is that believing and living in the reality of the second coming is something core to a mature Christian, to a growing Christian, one that is neglected But I want us to encourage us this evening to be an Advent people, to people who are looking forward to Jesus' return, people who are prepared for Jesus' return, and people who are in a state of readiness. And there's various passages that have been assigned today in the lectionary. Uh, Psalm 122 is the psalm that's appointed for today, and it's an amazing psalm that talks about Jerusalem uh, being an eternal city. Where God dwells with his people. Not literally the you know, Jerusalem we might recognize today, but Jerusalem is an eternal city of God with his people. And then we had Maggie read from Isaiah 2. Uh, it's an amazing passage and picture again of the end times. And you've got the eternal nature of God with his people. Verse 3 says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. So rather than using Jerusalem, the mountain of God is there the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, another term for Jerusalem. The word of the Lord will go forth. And then it goes on to talk about the nature of God's eternal kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. He says, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. It paints this beautiful picture of how the kingdom of God is is radical and that it's a place of peace where weapons become work tools because actually there's no need for them as weapons anymore. There's a very clear Old Testament narrative of end times, of a kingdom that will come. This is the world that Jesus lived in. And uh, it's a world in which Revelation made a lot of sense to Jewish people at the time. Revelation is a confusing book. Anyone else, hands up if you're confused by Revelation. If, you, if you've not got your hand up, you're probably not. You're probably lying or not sure. <laughs> it's really confusing. and I don't know what's going on, but Revelation 21 verses one to four are amazing. Really powerful. Again, a picture of what is to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth And one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's an amazing picture of what is to come. Amazing picture of the kingdom of heaven. Of of those end times that actually we have hope for. There's a hope. Amen? Amen. Now that is comforting, but as I said, that's in the future. Why does it matter for us today, really? Other than just being a source of comfort, why does Jesus talk about this quite so much? What does it mean for the disciples at that time? Why did I say earlier that I want us to be an Advent people, people who are looking to the second coming, and let that that reality of Jesus' return impact our lives today? And for that, we do need to turn to our Gospel reading. And if you do have a Bible, please turn to it. Um, It's in Matthew 24. And we only had verses 36 to 44 read. But the whole chapter, as I said, was about Jesus' return and about the end times. And at the beginning of the chapter, it starts by talking about how the world will descend into evil. And things will go wrong uh, and people will tear themselves apart as they reject God. Then it has a section about people claiming to be Jesus, claiming to be the the Messiah, to claiming to be the Christ, and many voices, and Jesus tells his disciples, you know, stay away from those people, be be watchful. It also talks about how Christians will face increased persecution. And then it says that Jesus will return. It's very clear. Jesus says, I'm coming back. And make no bones about it, you're going to know when he comes back. It's not going to be a subtle thing. He says he's going to come. In verse 30, it says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all of the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So it's not going to be subtle. (laughs) That's something we learn. But then we get to our passage and the crucial message, I think, for today for us. Verse 36 tells us that no one's going to know Uh, Verse 36, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I know a lot of Christians, I know a lot of followers of various uh, religious sects have spent a lot of time trying to guess when the world will end. Trying to guess when uh, the Messiah will come back, when Jesus will return. If God the Father is the only one who knows, and no one knows, I think we're wasting our breath if we try and work out when that happens. That's not what God wants us to do. That's not what Jesus wants us to do. Guessing about when the end times will be is pointless. And, and confusion around the whole concept is so real. You know, some people uh, are thinking about what time the end times will be. Some people are saying, well, you know, what exactly will it look like? There's various theories as to what Revelation and, and Jesus' words in Matthew mean. And it can get very confusing. You've got the concepts like the rapture, and, and you've got other people... You know, Very confusing. But the key message comes out uh, through Matthew 24. Earlier, verse 4, it said, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. Then in uh, verses 42 to 44, it says this. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming... He would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Keep watch. Be ready. Be on your guard. I was a, a good scout. You know, dib, 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 dob, dob, dob. The motto of the scouts, what do we know? It Do people know it? Be prepared. Be um, prepared. That is not so you can get some badges. So you know, you know, The whole point of the Scouts is not to get some badges. The point of being prepared as a Scout is, to, to, is a mindset. So that no matter what you face in life, you are prepared to take it on. Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for him to come back. Because being prepared is a state of being. Being ready is a status of mind and it impacts your life. If someone, in, you know, he uses the example of a thief. If you know a thief is coming to your house... You're not going to sit there and go, oh, I'll just go to bed, shall I? (laughs) and just nod off for the night. It's going to change how you act. I won't get you to explain some of those because, you know, some people, their actions might get them in trouble. (laughs) But if a thief was coming, that would change how you act. If you were ready. If you were ready for someone to come to your house, you know, an important guest to come to your house, well, you probably wouldn't let the house stay in the same state that my house currently is in. You probably tidy up, or you would you would want to you know ready yourself. Maybe, maybe you know do various things to get yourself ready. It would change your actions. If the Queen was here visiting Downend, if we found out the Queen was going to visit Downend, I tell you what, I would tell everyone I knew. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, do you know the Queen's coming? We need to be there. Or an important celebrity, if you hate the monarchy, you know, <laughs> who you know tell people. You would tell people. It would change your actions. Being ready is an action. If we have an urgency and a readiness for Jesus to come back, it affects our whole lives. Our prayer lives change. Our conversations change. Our generosity changes. Our caring for others changes. Being an Advent people is being the people that Jesus wants us to be. And to finish, I just want us to think about what it would be like if we all lived like this, if we as Christchurch down end took this kind of idea of being prepared and living as an Advent people, ready for Jesus to come back. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this in Mere Christianity. It's an amazing quote. He says this, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Christians who did most of the present world were those who, did, who thought of the next. Christians who are ready for the coming kingdom. Christians who are ready for Jesus to return. They impact the world. I, th- I was trying to look at you know, who C.S. Lewis might have been thinking about this week. Martin Luther, uh, you may or may not uh, like the man. He did some things that were positive, some things that were negative. But he was categorically sure that, uh, Jesus, was gonna, that Jesus was close to returning. He th- believed he was in the end times, if you will. And it gave him an urgency to challenge the corrupt priesthood of the time. There are thousands, if not millions, of people who are in heaven because Martin Luther had an urgency uh, to, to challenge corruption in the church and the Reformation and, and everything that came from that, both in the Protestant church and eventually in the Catholic church. Amazing acts. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is someone... Um, nod if you know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, understandably, as someone who lived in Nazi Germany realised he might be close to end times, uh, as a German living there. And the urgency of the Jesus he loved, and an urgency to see the Jesus he, re- he loved return, and the, the kind of preparedness he, of state of mind he lived in, led him to challenge voices in the church that were kind of being swayed to support the Nazis, or, or go along with them. He's a, a massive hero of mine, as someone who his teachings and his actions spoke of the love of God. He, ch- he has changed the church, again, There are people who are Christians now, people who are assured of eternity because of the work of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let's be people, let's be a church that are ready for the return of Jesus. Amen? Shall I pray for us? Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for the things that are easy to digest. And we ask for help for the things that are tougher to understand. Lord, give us the humility to know that we don't know everything. But let us be guided by you. Lord, help us to be ready for your return. Help us to be stirred into action. Help us to have the urgency of, of our early church fathers, of the disciples. Lord, we pray that we would uh, leave this place with a renewed energy to pray, to give, to live for you. And Lord, we pray that it would make a, uh, a massive impact in our churches, in our communities, to our neighbours.